John chapter number 5 this morning. John chapter 5, and let's go ahead and get into God's Word here this morning. And this morning we're going to look at or think about the thought of the work that Jesus did, Jesus' work. And I didn't really want to break this passage up, so we're just going to look at verses 15 through 21 this morning. And in the coming weeks, we'll look at the remainder of this passage. But really, this is one encounter, uh, starting in verse number 15. It kind of introduces it all the way down through the end of the chapter. This is one happening, one event uh, that Jesus had with the Pharisees, with the rulers of the Jews. Um, But we're just going to take the first several verses this morning for sake of time. And I didn't want to gloss over this. Because this is really a, a pivotal, a key passage in our understanding of who Jesus is. And of course, we've mentioned many times now how the Gospel of John is unique among the Gospels. And in the end of the Gospel of John, chapter number 20 and verse 30, John wrote these two verses explaining to us his purpose, the reason why he wrote the Gospel of John. In verse 30 of chapter 20, he said, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so really, when we read the Gospel of John, as we come this morning, anytime you read through the Gospel of John or you, you try to pull a verse out, you always need to look at it through that lens through the the lens of the reason that John has written these things. The reason that he's presenting these truths to us is so that we might know that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing in his name, we might have life. That was the whole reason why he wrote this. And so this morning, we're going to look at these verses and just have that in the back of your mind as we read through here. These are proofs that Jesus is who he claimed to be. John chapter 5 and verse number 15 this morning, it says, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, But said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel." For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So this morning we want to think about Jesus' work. And we take that thought from verse number 17, when Jesus answered them and he said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now if you think about yourself today, many of you are retired now. You're past the the age of working to make a living we're working for your primary income. But, you know, I've heard many people talk about how in retirement they got even busier. And they found more things that needed done. But regardless, no matter what stage we find 
stage of life we find ourselves in, right? We all have work that we do. There are things that occupy our time on a daily basis. It may be working for someone else for a paycheck. It may be working for yourself to make sure things don't fall apart and things stay together. But regardless, we spend the days of our lives involved in work, if you will. Whether it's truly classified as work or not, there are things that occupy our time. And if you stop and you examine your life and you examine the things that you do regularly, the things that occupy, the things that consume your time, how would you describe your work this morning? Who do you work for? What kind of work are you involved in? Jesus said there in verse number 17, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And we're going to look at some of the works that Jesus did this morning, the things that Jesus was involved in, but suffice it to say, we can sum up Jesus' work. Jesus' work was doing the will of the Father. Jesus and the Father, they had one will, they had one desire. The whole reason that Jesus came to this earth was the plan of redemption. It was salvation for you and I. And everything that Jesus did, it was directed toward that. It was directed towards salvation for mankind. He didn't get involved in a lot of extraneous pursuits. The things that Jesus did, they had a purpose. They had a a destination. But this morning, the first thing that we'll notice is Jesus' person. Jesus' person. You see there in in verse 15, the man departed. And if you were here last week, we talked about that lame man, the man who was impotent. And he laid by the pool of Bethesda, and he had no man who could take him to the pool. And Jesus had come and healed him. And if you'll remember from last week, or you can look back up in the text there, just a couple verses, you'll remember that that man, he was healed by Jesus, and he goes, Jesus tells him to rise up, take your bed, and walk. And so he's got his bedroll under his arm, and he's walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and that caused a stir, because it's the Sabbath day. And it didn't take very long until the Jewish leaders, they took notice, and they said, hey, what are you doing? And he explained, well, you know, the man who healed me, who gave me the ability to walk, he told me to carry my bed. And they said, well, who was it that would tell you such a thing? You're breaking the Sabbath day. Who would command you to do that? And you'll remember that man, he didn't know. He shrugged his shoulders. He said, I I don't know who it was that healed me. And later Jesus would meet him in the temple and would talk to him. And that was the last part that we looked at there in verse number 14 last week. So in verse 15, after this man figures out who Jesus is, he figures out that it was Jesus who healed him. In verse 15, he goes back to these rulers of the Jews. And he tells them, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which made him whole. So he goes back and he says, well, hey guys, you know, he showed back up. He met me. I figured out who it is. It's Jesus. Now, you know, by this time, the Pharisees must have known who Jesus was. In fact, we know that they know who Jesus was. They'd had several interactions with him. They'd begin, begun to hear some of the the rumblings around the countryside of people that were being healed by this man, Jesus, of Nazareth. And they'd begun to be kind of upset with him. Jesus didn't operate in the way that they thought the Messiah would operate. Jesus didn't come to them 
and puff up their egos. Jesus was doing things in a way that they didn't appreciate. They were not okay with Jesus. And now Jesus had had the gall to tell this man to carry his bed on the Sabbath day. And so for them, that was the last straw. You can tell they were pretty angry about it, right? What does it say in verse number 16? What was their reaction to hearing that it was Jesus that had, told, that had healed this man? Jesus that had told him to carry his bed. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. Okay, so that's bad enough. But notice what they, what they did next. They didn't just stop at persecuting and sought to slay him. Now, I know we're familiar with this passage, most of us, and so that kind of just like rolls off our back. But really, stop and think about that for a minute. They sought to slay him. They wanted to kill Jesus because he had healed this man and told him to carry his bed on the Sabbath day. That's pretty rough. That's a rough crowd. They were pretty worked up about Jesus. They were pretty upset that he would have the, the audacity to do this. I mean, when was the last time that you shared a tract with someone or that you witnessed to someone and they disagreed with you so much that they wanted to kill you? That they not only wanted to kill you, but that they sought to kill you. That they went about, you know, making arrangements and trying to figure out where you lived so that they could knock you off. That's never happened to me, right? But that's literally where these men were with Jesus. They were so angry that he would do this. They were so angry that he, would, that he would heal this man, that he would break the Sabbath day. And we're going to look at that. You know, Jesus didn't actually break the Sabbath day. But in their minds, he did. In their minds, he had broken the law of God, and he was deserving of death. So they have this view of Jesus, and their view of Jesus is very low. Their view of Jesus is that he has nothing to do with the things of God. Their view of Jesus is that he is a lawbreaker to the point that he needs to die. So they, they find Jesus, they confront him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But verse number 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. So when we think about Jesus' person, Jesus comes, and in this one statement, he reveals to them who he is. He reveals to them, hey, I am the Son of God. God is my Father. You think about, he says here, my Father worketh hitherto, and I work. What kind of work does God the Father do? He says, my Father worketh hitherto, up to this point, and I work. He's, he's equating himself with God the Father. But you think about, what kind of work does God the Father do? You see, God the Father had instituted the Sabbath day. God had given the Ten Commandments, and one of those was the Sabbath rest that mankind was to observe. God himself had, um, had typified or, or shown a picture of the Sabbath during the days of creation as he rested from the, the creation work on the seventh day. But God the Father doesn't take a Sabbath day. He doesn't rest from his work. When we think about the type of work that God does, he works every day. 
weekdays, Sabbath days, Sundays, and we're thankful for it. Because God's work is holding us together. God's work is holding this planet together. God's work is working in the hearts and lives of man. God's work is the pursuit of salvation for mankind from the fall of sin. And I'm thankful that that God himself does not rest from that work. I'm thankful that he pursues after us. I'm thankful that from the beginning of time, that has been something that God has been busy about. You see, the work that Jesus engaged in now, in this passage, was the same work that the Father had been doing from the beginning of time, every day. Jesus was doing the same work as God the Father, and so he he tells them as much. He says, my Father worketh hitherto, and I work. God the Father and me, we are doing the same work. Jesus was pointing out to them that they were wrong in their judgment. Wrong for two different reasons. When we think about the person of Jesus, the main reason why Jesus was pointing out to them, hey, you guys are wrong, is because of who he was. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He is claiming to be God. His statement starts out with, my father. Now, to you and I, we, we can see some authority represented here. We can understand, okay, you know, there's, there's some um, equality, maybe. But in the Jewish mind, this was even more um, vivid to them. I'm trying to think of a word to, to describe to you the, the importance of Jesus' statement here. When Jesus says, my father, when he calls God the Father, my father, this was something that the Jewish people would not do. It was equal to blasphemy. Jesus was equating himself to God. He was saying that he was God's son, my father. And we'll notice here in a minute, we'll look at their response. And their response really bears that out. But Jesus was telling them, I'm God in the flesh. I am God come. And when when you think about God, he is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus would would, uh, allude to that title in another encounter with the Jewish leaders. That he was Lord of the Sabbath. He was the one who instituted the Sabbath. The Sabbath was instituted for mankind. He's not just mankind. He is God. He is not only that, but he is the one for whom the Sabbath was given. Mankind was to observe the Sabbath day, was to rest from their work, was to spend a day worshiping God and bringing glory to who? What a God. To Jesus, to the one who was standing before them. He points out to them who he is. Not only that, because of who he was, or who he is, were the Jews wrong, but also because of the work That he does. During other encounters, Jesus would speak of the priests in the temple that profaned the Sabbath. Now, this is an interesting one, right? Because you think about, okay, the Pharisees, they're all about Jesus. You're breaking the Sabbath day. And Jesus would point out in another encounter with them, well, what about the priests? What about the Levites? Because they stand up on the Sabbath day, and what do they do? Well, they work. I mean, have you ever butchered an animal before? It's some work. It takes some effort. It takes some time. 
And you think about the sacrifices that the Levites and the priests did. That was no small thing to offer that many animals as a sacrifice. Even to offer one animal. I mean, it takes some time to do all of that. To, to order the showbread and to apply the blood to the mercy seat and all these kind of things the, the priests and the Levites did. And they were profaning, if you will, profaning the Sabbath day. They were working. But what were they doing? Oh, they weren't, you know, they weren't putting bucks in their pocket. Oh, yeah, here we go. They weren't going out and pursuing their own things. No, they were doing that which God had commanded them to do. They were involved in the work of God, and they were bringing glory and honor to God in doing that. They were doing that which God had commanded. Now, when you think about what did Jesus do? When Jesus heals this man, when Jesus makes this man whole and he gives him health, he gives him the ability to stand and to walk and to carry his bedroll through town, what do you think that man was doing? Especially after he figured out who it was that made him whole. I think that man was shouting, Woo! I can walk! Anyone who could, who could hear, anyone who could look at him, he'd say, Hey! You remember me? I've been laying by that pool down there for 38 years. It's been 38 years since I've been able to do this. And he probably got up and ran up and down the streets. He was going all over telling everyone that he knew about what had happened to him. He was giving glory to God. He wasn't simply carrying around his bed, profaning the Sabbath day. He was doing what God had told him to do, and he was bringing God glory. So just like the priests and the Levites in the temple, this man wasn't breaking the Sabbath day. Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath day. Rather, he was keeping it. He was doing that which the Sabbath day was all about. Taking a rest from the daily work and instead bringing honor and glory to God. So we see Jesus' two reasons here. The work that he did, he refers to it in verse 17. My father worketh hitherto, and I work. But you'll notice then, second of all, the, the Jews' estimation of Jesus' statement. And this is really where we get an idea of the weight of what Jesus has just said. There in verse number 18, Jesus says, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus makes this statement, and it makes the Jews even more mad. They've been trying to kill him. They've been scheming, trying to figure out how can we get rid of Jesus. And now they sought the more to kill him. Their efforts now just got multiplied. They got ratcheted up because they're more angry and you'll notice, why are they angry? Not just because he broke the Sabbath day in their mind, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You know, there are a lot of cults out there that like to say, well, Jesus never made a statement of deity. Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, really? Oh, what is this then? 
You and I might read that statement, my father worketh hitherto and I work, and we might think, oh, okay, I don't see a statement of deity there. Well, the Jewish people did. They very much did see that Jesus was equating himself to God. It says there, in plain black and white, at the end of verse 18, that he had said God was his father, making himself equal with God. They sought to kill him because in their minds he had broken the first commandment. He had elevated himself to the position of God. That was idolatry to them. No man could be equal to God. And so this man, in their estimation, needed to die. You know, if you'll say that Jesus never made statements of deity, then you have to skip over this. You have to try to explain it away. But Jesus doesn't just stop here with this one statement. Really, the rest of the passage... The rest of these verses, the rest of this encounter with these men, Jesus offers to them proofs of who he is. Proofs that he is the Messiah. Proofs that he is God in the flesh. And so that's really what we're going to spend the remainder of the message on this morning, is Jesus' proofs. The the things that Jesus offers to them as proof of who he is. And we'll only look at three of those this morning. The first thing that we'll see is that he claims, the the proof that he offers to back up his claim, is that he and God the Father are one. They are one in their actions. One in their actions. Verse number 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, These also doeth the Son likewise. Jesus and God the Father are one. They are one in their actions. The things that they do. You know, there was nothing that Jesus did that he did on his own. There was nothing that Jesus thought of and said, Oh, I'd like to do that. God the Father, he he wouldn't be interested in that. He wouldn't be wanting me to participate in that or to follow after that thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. There was never a time that Jesus did that. The things that Jesus did, they were the things that God the Father did. The things that Jesus involved himself in, they were the things that God the Father did. He did nothing of himself. He goes on there, but what he seeth the Father do. So not only does he come up with his own things to do, but Jesus says that he looks, he sees what is the Father doing? What is is God the Father up to? What is he involved in? What are his pursuits? And Jesus says, then I do those things. I look and I see what is God the Father doing, and that is what I do. For whatsoever things he doeth, whatsoever things he doeth, These also doeth the Son likewise. Likewise. So Jesus looks and he sees what is God the Father doing in this world? What is God the Father up to? If we think back in the encounters that Jesus has just had recently in our text, you think about the woman at the well. There was a lady who God the Father was at work in her life. God the Father had been up to something. And Jesus comes on the scene, 
and he sees, what is God the Father up to in this lady's life? Well, obviously we know. God the Father's desire for her was to see her born again, to see her come to salvation. His desire was to do a great work in that city of Sychar. And Jesus, he sees, and he does the same thing as the Father. He gets involved in what the Father is doing. And we see the fruit that abounded from that. That lady came to know Jesus as her Savior. And not only that, it spread. It created a revival. Jesus stayed there for two whole days, showing to them who he was from the Scripture. You see, the things that Jesus did, they were things that God the Father did. That also doeth the Son likewise. He did in the same manner. He did likewise as the Father. They did the same things. They were one and the same. So not only are they one in action, Jesus goes on. In verse 20, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. So not only are they one in action, but they are one in fellowship. They are one in fellowship. He says there, And showeth him all things that himself doeth. Have you seen all of the things that God is up to in this world? No. Of course not. I... I can look and, you know, sometimes I might be able to see with spiritual enough eyes to see a few things that God is up to. I might be able to look and and discern and figure out what God is up to in my life. And in some other folks' lives, I can see His working. But, you know, when I look at this world, there's way too many people for me to understand what God is doing. on a large scale, in everybody's life, right? I I don't even know everybody's name. I have a hard enough time remembering all of your names. I have a hard enough time not mixing up my daughter and my dog's name. You know, I don't don't have the capacity to understand, for God to reveal to me all things that he doeth. Not only that, I don't have the, the capacity in myself to get close enough to God for him to do that. You think about Moses in the Bible, right? Moses got so close to God, God referred to Moses as his friend. That'll blow your mind. But it says in the Bible there that that God revealed just a portion of his glory to him. And what happened to Moses? His face turned white. People were scared to death of him. You see, Moses, even as close as he was to God, he couldn't handle the full picture. He couldn't handle full fellowship with God the Father face to face. He's too frail. He's too fleshly. But what does Jesus say about himself here? For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. That's a pretty big statement. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm loved of God the Father, and I know everything that He is doing. He's revealed it all to me. He hasn't hidden anything from me. I know everything that He is involved in doing. If you invite someone over to your house, right? 
you have them over for dinner, even if they're a close friend, right? You don't reveal everything to them. You probably have a closet or a room where you stuff things before people come over, where you shove things and you shut that door, and then the rest of the house looks nice. And then afterwards, you know, all the stuff, well, you can't even get into that room, and eventually you have to clean it up. But even if, even if your house is spotless, right, there are areas of your house, there are things that you don't reveal to everyone. You have someone over, even if they're a close friend, right, you don't pull up your bank account and go over your bank statement together. You don't share your social security number. You don't open your safe and go through all of your paperwork, right? No. There are things that we, we keep to ourselves. Jesus, though, he says that all things... All things that the Father did, He revealed to Him. Everything. You know what Jesus is saying there? We're one. We're one. There's nothing that He knows and that He does that I don't know and I don't do. We're one. We're together. He's revealed it all to me. There were no hidden plans. There were no hidden motives. There were no hidden actions between the two of them. They were one in fellowship. And incidentally, Jesus says there in verse 20, And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. Jesus is, is giving them a sneak preview. He's, he's telling them, hey, there's some stuff coming up. These things that I've done, Jesus just healed a man who for 38 years had been sick. 38 years he couldn't walk. That's pretty amazing. Jesus says, well, there's stuff coming up that's going to cause you to marvel. It'll knock your socks off. The things that Jesus is going to do, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's pretty crazy. Not only that, Jesus himself is going to die for the sins of mankind, and he is going to raise from the dead. That's something that causes us to marvel. Jesus is revealing to them, he's proving to them, he's offering them proofs, of who he is, that he is God in the flesh. He and the Father are one in action, they're one in fellowship. But then third of all, the third one, last one that we'll look at this morning, is that they are one in power. They are equal in power. In verse number 21, he says, For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Jesus now puts forward to them proof in that he has the same power as God the Father. Now, if Jesus was not who he said he was, if Jesus was not truly the Messiah that he claimed to be, that would be a very blasphemous statement. To say that I have the same power as God. What does he say there in verse 21? For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. He's claiming to have resurrection power just like God the Father. Now, for these Jewish folks, they would have known stories in the Old Testament. They could have thought back to people in the Old Testament who had been raised from the dead. They could have thought back to instances where God the Father had revealed His power. They would have agreed with those. But for Jesus to say that He has the same kind of power... That would have been a very strong statement to them. But you know, Jesus isn't just making this statement. He's not just saying, well, I have the same power as God. Any man can say that. 
Anyone can say, well, I can raise people from the dead. And there's people today that claim that. There's people today that claim to have this kind of power. But you know what? Jesus is the only one who ever exemplified it. Jesus is the only one who ever proved that he had such power. And Jesus' statements here would be backed up by his actions. Jesus was one in power. The only one who has power to translate people from death to life is God. He's the only one. There is no man. There is no religious organization. There's no ruler. Only God. And Jesus had that power. Jesus has that power because Jesus was and Jesus is God. You see, Jesus is offering to them proofs that he and the Father are one. They are one in their actions. They are one in their fellowship. And they are one in their power. Jesus had just given them a very vivid illustration of the kind of power that God has. In bringing this man, though he was not dead, but he was beyond the help of man. In bringing him from a place of being infirm, of being lame, to a man of health and vitality. There were many other miracles that Jesus had already done. And there would be the raising of Lazarus, in which Jesus would prove that he had the power, that he had resurrection power. But you know, when we think about Jesus' statement here, for as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. You know, Jesus has power to heal physically, but not only that, Jesus has power to heal spiritually. God the Father heals spiritually. And when we think about quickening and raising from the dead, that is the primary um, method, the primary area in which God operates. Now, there will be a time, there will be an event where God operates on a large scale and he raises people from the dead. But when we think about the fact that God is involved, the work that he is involved in, the, the primary focus of God is quickening, making alive. We know that all of us, when we're born into this world, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Our sins have separated between us and God. The things that we do in our flesh, even from being little children all the way on up, are sinful. They break the law of a holy God. We know from the book of James that all we have to do is break God's law one time. Offend in one point, and we are guilty of all. Just like if I was to go out this morning, and I was to murder someone, and I was to stand before the judge, and the judge was to ask me, Samuel, what do you have to say for yourself? And I say, well, judge, I've never murdered anyone else in my entire life. I've been a good person. I've helped in these different areas. I've been a good citizen. I haven't broken the other laws of the land. I've just broken this one. You think the judge is going to care? You think he's going to say, oh, well, have a nice day. We'll let you off the hook because it's only one. No. Not if he's a just judge. If he's a just judge, then he will institute the proper penalty for what I have done. 
And you know, this morning, you may have been the best person that this world has ever seen in the flesh. But if you've broken God's law even once, and who among us has not? Truly, if we stop and we consider to only break God's law once in a day would be impressive. It would be a feat worth mentioning, for all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. And the only one who has the power to bring us from death to life, the only one who has the resurrection power, the power to quicken us, is God. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus here, he speaks about the fact that he has that power. This morning, have you experienced the power of God in your life? Have you been quickened? Have you been brought from death unto life? By the power of Jesus Christ? Or are you still trying to make the dead live on your own? You know, Jesus' statement here, it would have been blasphemous if he didn't have the power. And you and I, really, that's what it is. If we try to refuse the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and say, no, you know what? I don't want that. I have the power in myself to make myself right with God. You know what that is? It's blasphemy. Because we don't. We don't have the power to translate ourselves from death to life. It's spitting in the face of a holy God. But this morning, he holds out to us the offer of salvation. The offer of being made new. The offer of being made alive. The offer of being transferred from death to life. Is that something that has happened to you today? For those of us who do know him... It's really interesting what Jesus said there. In verse number 17, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. And in verse number 19, The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. If you remember, I started the message out by asking you, What, what is your work? What is the thing that you are involved in? What is the area's the area, the areas in which you spend your daily life. You know, for Jesus, he had a very limited time here on earth. It would only be 33 short years, and Jesus would be crucified and killed. But you know, for most of us, we have more time than that. But even still, the time that we have in this life is fleeting. It's, it's but a vapor that appears and then it's gone. It vanishes away. Jesus was very invested. The, the works that Jesus did, they were the things that he saw the Father do. And if you're here this morning and you know him as your Lord and Savior, what are you doing with your life? Are you about the Father's business? Are you operating in the way that God operates? Are you looking to God to see what is God doing? Let me do the same things. Let me work in the same way that God is working. You know, brethren, what a novel idea for us as Christians. To look to Him. To ask Him and say, God, what are you doing in this world? Where are you working around me? What would you have me do? What would you have me be involved in on a daily basis? Where would you have me spend my time? You know, brethren, if we'll really latch on to that, if we'll really grab a hold of that and say, God... I want to do the works that you would have me do. 
I want to be working in the ways, the areas in which you are working. I want to, to come across people whose lives you're busy at work in. I want to intersect with them, and I want to work the works that you'll have me work. The works that you'll have me do. If we'll do that, I think we'll find that God's at work all around us. But you know, it's far too easy, far too often, we fall into the trap of getting busy in this life. Forgetting why we're here. Forgetting that we are to be working the works of the Father, and we fall into the trap of the daily mundane. Of putting one foot in front of the other, and making sure that we have a roof over our head, and food in our bellies, making sure that we have entertainment and we have fun. Some of those things are necessary. But you know, God didn't put us here simply to live our lives and to die. God's left us here. If you're saved, if you're born again, you know Him as your Lord and Savior this morning, you're here on this earth for a reason, for a purpose. God didn't save you and take you straight to heaven. So He's not done with you here. He's left us here to be salt and light. He's left us here to work the works of the Father. He's left us here to leave an impact on this world. May we be about the Father's business. As the pianist comes, we'll have a time of invitation. It's just a time where you can spend a few moments thinking about what has God spoken to me about this morning. And I invite you this morning to spend some time thinking about what does God want you to do today. You know, He doesn't invite us to come and to worship Him. He doesn't want us to come and to hear His Word and to leave just the same as we came. I, I think God's Word has enough things to speak to all of us about this morning. So I, I hope you can stand to your feet with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. As the pianist plays a verse of invitation song, you do business with God. What does God want you to do this morning?